We are in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 53. Let me read it for you in the ESV, and you can follow along. And uh, we're going to uh, dip our toe into some of the things that uh, Jesus demonstrates in terms of his own ministry this morning, and pray that we will understand that, especially in light of our vision frame. And I want to thank uh, marketing team, especially Andy and Miss Fisher, for putting that together for us. Uh, it is... Uh, Helps catcher, yeah, you can clap, I guess you can clap, go ahead, sure, why not, all right. Always one of those awkward moments, do we cheer, joy, whatever, whatever it looks like, anyway. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, that is being Jesus, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Well, obviously, this is a simple passage, and it may not feel at times worthy of our time because it is so straightforward. Jesus demonstrates the power of God's love and the power of himself as he deals with the deepest needs of individuals that are around him. And he doesn't apologize for that. Uh, we uh, live in a world where we have struggled as a Christian community, not us particularly, but the Christian world, about how do we invest ourselves into our culture. Uh, when I was growing up, it happened to be one of the things on the forefront was social gospel. Uh, and there were certain Protestant groups that were really big on the Protestant go uh, on the social gospel. It was basically meant to say that we need to not be ashamed to insert our values and our principles into the different realms of culture and the decisions that need to be made there. The danger, of course, even though there's some value in all of these different movements that get started, one of the dangers is, is that it at times gave the appearance that that was the whole gospel, just doing good things for other people and trying to reconstruct the culture so that it looks more like what Jesus would want. Uh, and church has always struggled with how do we step into our world and how do we make an impact? Uh, we face the same things in our own environment. Uh, this next Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And the... Uh, one of the groups that is uh, sort of on the front lines of the idea of prayer, at least in our particular state, is the Wright County Restore Minnesota Community Action Team. They have asked that May the 1st be uh, a day of prayer and fasting because of all the political uh, legislation that's being made. Uh, everything from the idea of abortion being basically unrestricted, uh, Minnesota is becoming, as it were, a transgender refuge state so that people that are in transgender can find refuge here to get all the resources that they need in terms of looking after their own particular needs. Uh, there's now different bills like the education omnibus that is about a non-exclusionary discipline clause. In other words, they can't discipline or expel kids for anything anymore. So that they, doesn't matter whether there's even a threat to the school, that they don't seem to have any leverage now that uh, to even discipline kids. Uh, there's bills regarding gun rights and there's all kinds of other things that go with it. So the question then becomes for the Christian community is how do we step into our community and make a difference? 
You get some that are literally about the whole thing is we've got to rebuild our country and get it back to its Christian roots. And there's some obviously concern that the more that things slide, that the worse they're going to become. There's other groups that uh, say, look at, uh, and they get accused of being fairly monolithic about this, but it's like no matter what happens, just like every other culture, every other country that has existed, it's going to deteriorate. It's going to disappear at some point. It's going to be rotted from the inside out. There have been nation after nation after nation after nation through time and history that rise to great power and then disintegrate from the inside out because of these very kinds of things. And then the tension is, what do we do about it? How do we fix it? Well, I would suggest to you that no matter what position you think you need to take, at the heart of this has got to be the gospel. And yet that brings great division amongst Christians about what that's supposed to look like. Now, we can't solve all those issues this morning. Uh, Jesus was one who definitely lived in a culture where there were some horrible things going on. Politically and economically, the Romans ruled and they ruled at times with an iron fist. Uh, The Jewish religious system at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes, weren't much more helpful. They were so bogged down in making sure that they had their rules and regulations and traditions that Jesus even said to them, you are keeping people from the kingdom of God. Jesus himself did not speak very much about the political system. He didn't attack too many people. He went after Herod once and called him a fox and that was about the extent of it. Those issues surrounded Jesus and yet he was on a mission that had to be fairly focused. Some of us might even accuse Jesus reading this tick text that he was wasting his time doing something that's not really on the front lines of things. And yet his mission to redeem broken humanity meant that he was presenting himself to people. And regardless of what track you think you need to be on in terms of making a difference in the culture, this text reminds us of why we've adopted the vision frame to some degree the way we have in terms of where we want to step forward as a church. Jesus really had four different elements to his particular ministry. And these may sound oversimplistic, but I want to try to correlate that to where we live and what we have committed ourselves to doing here at Oak Grove. He had a public ministry. Uh, He had a people ministry, which people would say, well, that's kind of dumb. Of course he did. Well, I run into lots of churches who's not as concerned about people as they are about programs. And most of those that are so fixated on their programs usually are the ones that are dying because all they're doing is meeting their own needs, not the communities. Uh, and that's usually the tendency that many church programs have. Jesus had a what I call a powerful ministry. You will see that he's gone around meeting deep needs of people. There was all kinds of people that flocked to him, meeting, wanting him to meet physical and emotional needs in their life. And Jesus took the time to heal them. And again, brings up controversy in terms of the Christian community. It's like, that's not what we're about. That's not what's going to last for eternity. So we ignore it at times and say, that's not what we want to focus on. And then he had what I call a purposeful ministry that transcended even the things that he was doing. And we need to remind ourselves of ultimately what his motivation was driving him. And I hope as we look at this that you get a sense of where we are and what I believe his example says to every one of us as individuals and as families about how we need to live in the world that we do. 
Let me point out, first of all, that Jesus had a public ministry. The context of his mission or ministry, and I'm going to use those interchangeably right now, in terms of, because if I say ministry, most of us go, well, that's about doing stuff in the church. Uh, mission is the stuff that we do outside the church, and there's reasons we have those discussions. But I'm going to use them interchangeably here, because everything was about mission with Jesus. They didn't have any church, they didn't have any programs, they didn't have any buildings to collect in. Jesus was on a redemptive mission to reach the lost house of Israel. And so the context of his mission was that it was in the common places where people lived. It was not necessarily in the synagogues, although we'll point out the context of that as we do it. The commitment of his ministry was taking the initiative to go to people. He didn't just hang out a sign and put out some advertising and say, hey, listen, if you need anything, come and see me. Jesus was constantly going, not inviting. I mean, obviously, when he connected with people, he invited them to consider the message of the gospel that goes all the way back to the first chapter. But Jesus was not sitting passively back, waiting for people to come to him. He was going. And it sounds overly simple, but if we miss that part of it, you will discover why some churches who miss that literally end up dying because it's all about them coming to us, not us going to them. And if we miss that point, you sort of handicap yourself from being the church that Christ calls, it to, calls us to. And the confidence of ministry is about impacting people in the circumstances of real life. I want to propose to you as we think about public ministry a contrast in the chapters that we've seen through Mark already. And I want to contrast it in a way that hopefully will make sense to you in terms of where we live. Jesus did some ministry in the synagogues. He went to the place that was sort of the hub and the heartbeat of Jewish religion. And he went there because he was trying to invite the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the, the hub of where that took place to consider who Jesus was. And ultimately, we could do all kinds of Old Testament prophetic stuff that would talk about him being the Messiah. He is God's servant, come to uh, invite Israel to be reconciled back to their God. And, and in all of this, Jesus spent time in the synagogue. In fact, even though it seemed it's more plentiful than this, there's only four references in these first six chapters that really talk about the synagogue and his ministry there. We have it in Mark chapter one, verse 23, Mark chapter 1, verse 39, and in chapter 3, verse 1, and Mark chapter 6, verse 2, we're told specifically that he went to the synagogues. The one that is most significant is Mark 1, verse 39, because it tells us, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So there was a time that Jesus went to their gathering places where they met with the requirement of how they gathered together for teaching and instruction and worship, and Jesus was there. I um, thought about that this week and I kind of went, you know, as much as it's kind of a passe thing today and it doesn't really matter to a lot of Christians whether they gather with other believers, I think even Jesus understood the value of what it meant even though it was run by the Jews and uh, that it was kind of corrupted and disorganized and the leaders weren't really in tune with God the way they should, is that Jesus literally went and gathered with his people when they got together on specific times, especially the Sabbath. I'm sure Jesus could have found a thousand reasons why he was going to distance himself from those gathering places. But he, did, he went there anyway. 
Because he knew that even in those gathering places, there's people that needed to meet Jesus. There's people that needed to meet him. And in our day and age, where people have sort of almost disdain at times for the organized church and all the stuff that goes with it because of whatever they think is wrong with it, the hypocrisy and the duplicity and all that kind of stuff, uh, you won't find a single believer that doesn't struggle with that personally. I'm always fascinated by people that say, well, we're going to do this kind of church in our own particular way because this obviously is more authentic than what you're doing. Drives me nuts. My evil twin sometimes comes out when Christians get these sort of arrogant superior attitudes that, well, that group of people is clearly unstable and not worth it. I'm going to gather people that are so much like me and we're going to have a real genuine time of being spiritual. I tell you, the problem with humanity is humanity. It's not my circumstances. It's not the organized church. It's God's people learning to live the way God wants them to live. And when that doesn't happen, you're always going to find hypocrisy. And, and, and so in the midst of this, I find it interesting that Jesus did recognize that in these texts that Jesus went and hung out in the synagogues and did messages. And he did it fairly often. But I also want you to notice that a significant part of his ministry or his mission was done out in real life circumstances. And I haven't even listed them all. There's 18 references of some context where Jesus did ministry outside of the synagogue. I've just listed the few different ones here. Mark 1.29, it was in someone's house. In Mark 2.13 and 14, it was at the seashore. In Mark chapter 2, verse 23, it was in the grain fields when he was going through that with his disciples and then challenged by the Pharisees. In Mark 3, verse 8 and 9, it was a boat. They were out fishing. Mark chapter 3, it was on a mountain. Mark chapter 5, it was in a graveyard, believe it or not. Mark chapter 6, verse 32, talks about villages and cities where he went around. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus did not limit himself to say, hey, my mission and ministry takes place in the synagogue, period. If you want to come and hear me, you've got to come to the synagogue. If you really want to get authentic teaching and spirit, you've got to come to the synagogue. He didn't do that. And as much as he went and he was there and trying to introduce himself to people that needed to hear him, there was a tremendous effort of Jesus to be in the real life places where people lived and that's where he saw his mission. And he was very intentional about the process. All that to say that I believe that if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be authentic followers of Christ, if we're going to be compelled by the love of Jesus for a lost world, then God's people are to have a public ministry. Now, I don't mean they need to be on television. I, I don't need to mean you have to do certain things that the news will come out and show you, whether you think it's dealing with cultural issues or whatever. The issue here is that Jesus was out in the real world, in the public, and that's where he saw a significant part of his ministry. It wasn't limited to church. And I say that because as a regional director, I've been dealing with churches who spend more time fighting over the color of the paint and how to renovate a building and an auditorium and other kinds of things, and you can always tell a church when it gets unhealthy because it tends to have more concern over those things than people out in the world. They tend to isolate themselves. 
They tend to withdraw because the world is a terrible place in their thinking, that it's dangerous, that it threatens my values. I have no idea how to interact with that, so the tendency is to withdraw, to circle the wagons, to find a safe place so that I don't have to either worry about it or I don't have to think about it. And when a church does that, then it's headed down a pathway that at the end of it is basically the death of the church. Because Jesus demonstrates, even by his tendency, that, the, that a significant part of mission and ministry has to be lived out in real places with real people. It's not just a Sabbath or Sunday morning event. Now, if you've missed my point, the idea is, is that there are all kinds of Christians who don't have any non-Christian friends. That we have kept our lives very busy and we've got occupied with raising kids and doing our business and doing our hobbies and everything else. And the danger for many of us as Christians is that we're kind of in the world but we're not on mission. We love to come and gather because it encourages us but the danger is is that we're not making a difference in the world in our neighborhoods and at our workplaces and at our schools. Now, whether that looks like renovating the infrastructure of some kind of organization, the priority for those with the gospel has to be the redemption of human life. And we can have all kinds of different opinions about it, but we are not to live in a corner or to hide our faith. We are to be individuals who are living out the life of Christ in touching needs. And one of the things that Jesus does here is that even... In this circumstances, whether it's the synagogue or whether it's in the grain fields or on the ocean or by the seashore, he is always on mission. He is always ministering to people because he knows that's the best opportunity he's got for them. Along with that is that Jesus had a people ministry. You know, Jesus made a comment too in Matthew chapter 9 and other places where he says, listen, you can gain the entire world and forfeit your own soul. And and so he sets the priority that his point, at least in terms of doing mission and ministry, is that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't necessarily come to fix our businesses. He didn't come to fix our grades at school. He didn't come to just fix our friendships. We wish he would fix our families. But he came on a mission because if a person can gain the whole world but never comes to the reality of accepting Christ, they're forfeiting their existence. With the French Immersion School here, we have the chance to interact with them, and there's one gal that I interact with pretty regularly. She's really interesting. I really enjoy looking to her. She's uh, an individual who, actually yesterday when I was was it yesterday? I don't know. Sometime this week. I can't remember whether it's Thursday or Monday anymore. But anyway, I was chatting with her, and she doesn't believe that Jesus was God at all. She is super inspired by the human Jesus, as she calls it. Inspired in the same way that she would be inspired by someone like Martin Luther King. That she see Now, I haven't got to the details of what that means. That's going to be a really interesting discussion. But the idea is, is that She feels like, and even said, in some respects, I'm actually a follower of Jesus, just not the way you are. Because her basic premise is that the writers made up all this divine 
miraculous stuff that he did because they were trying to make him look better instead of just being this revolutionary, geopolitical revolutionary who got himself killed like a whole bunch of other different people that we're trying to paint this picture through the Gospels that he is more than that. And, and the idea here is that Christ didn't come to save those who don't need a physician. He came to save lost, broken, sinful individuals who are enemies of God because of our sin and our separation from him. And at the heart of Christ's ministry, both in the synagogue and in the real life world where he met people on the seashore and he met them in the boat and he met them in their houses, in their homes, was that he was helping them to understand the power and the love of God in the person of Jesus that he came to restore their relationship with him. And so I believe that's a priority for us. That if we call ourselves disciples and followers of Jesus, it can't be a Sunday or Wednesday kind of a thing. We, success isn't about running a good program. It's about empowering people to be followers of Jesus, not just when we gather together, that's valuable and important, but when we walk into the world, that we see people as desperately needing the hope of the gospel of Christ. And yet you and I both know that our own personal struggle sometimes is that we're afraid of the conflict, we're afraid of the rejection, we're afraid of the consequences of sharing Christ with others. And we need to learn that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're following him to impact people above everything else. How many, not, how many unbelieving friends do you have? How many individuals do you know that are unchurched, that are broken individuals who are floundering around trying to figure out what the purpose of their life is? What's the significance of what they're doing? And what difference does it make? There's an old saying that you might consider a bit cheesy, but it's people need to know you care before they care about what you know. And we want them to know the right stuff, but sometimes we fall short of caring for people in terms of even what Jesus did, their physical basic needs that they have. And yet it was a powerful door opener for them to see the presence of God in the person of Jesus. It was all about people with Jesus. It was all about reclaiming lost men and women, introducing them to the God that they claimed to know and yet their hearts were far from. We, the conflict that we have to remember is that we're not building our kingdom, we're, we're advancing his. And the danger we need to get into is that we gotta remember that when Jesus came to the Pharisees and the scribes, they were building their little empire. And it didn't mesh very well with what Jesus wanted to do. And if you'll know, we'll, we won't deal with it all today, but they were far more committed to their traditions and their programs and their practices than they were the person of Jesus. Now you know this is true in churches today. I know of churches that have stopped running certain kinds of programs in their churches and they had individuals leave the church because they weren't running a particular program. Now, granted, the whole idea of leadership is to serve the body and to do the things that would continue to enhance their growth and empower and equip them to be followers of Jesus. 
But sometimes our passion and zeal and commitment to structures and programs outstrips our commitment to Christ. No one's going to admit that. They're going to say, I'm committed to, to a program because that program's committed to the things that I think reflect my values and my relationship with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But the danger is, is that we sort of get into this consumer mentality in American Christianity where if you don't serve me the right way, then I'm off doing my own thing. I'll go somewhere else. It is at times a magnificent, beautiful, flourishing church where people commitment is because of the people, maybe because of the programs, but the surpassing commitment of the heartbeat of every person in the church is to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom work. Jesus had a powerful ministry. And the power of his ministry was that, first of all, that he was intentional. You'll notice that it says, and wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored them that he might heal them. And, and at the front end of this, I want you to see the power of his ministry is driven by his intentionality to connect with people in the world that they live in. Doesn't matter whether it's the supermarket, it's the marketplaces, it could be in the grain fields, it could be at some of their local trade businesses. Jesus, wherever he came. So he wasn't sitting around waiting for the world to come to him. He didn't hang out his sign or run an advertisement. Those things are rather important today in terms of what we're doing. But he sent his disciples into the cities. Jesus went into the villages. Jesus touched base where people lived. And so at the heart of being a follower of Christ is that we have to learn that we have to be intentional about connecting with people in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our housing complexes, at the workplace. I, I work for a Christian organization and I really appreciate it. I have had other people work for Christian organizations that aren't the church. They're parachurch organizations. And those can be fantastic environments because you know everybody's on the same page. If you work for a non-Christian organization of any sort, sometimes you're not always on the same page with them in terms of your beliefs and values and other things. I was too immature to know it at the time, but when I was in high school, I got to work on the Canadian National Railroad down unloading stuff in the docks, downtown Calgary. I had a boss that was a yeller and a screamer. He was the biggest pain in the neck I had as a teenager. But I also got to rub shoulders with people that didn't know Jesus. And I'm at times envious of individuals who get to work in non-Christian environments because if they understand that God wants them to be the light of the hope of the gospel in that environment, they're in one of the most absolute unique privileges that God has given to them and yet so many Christians don't appreciate it. I understand the struggle. I understand the battle. But the issue is, is Jesus was, the power of his ministry is that he was intentional about connecting with people that probably wouldn't have anything to do with them other than what they could get from him. 
I remember my wife taking some clothes to the dry cleaners. It's back when I wore suits more often, I think. And uh, it happened to be a Christian who owned the dry cleaning business, and she took the stuff in, and uh, I, I can't remember exactly if it was something they had cleaned and something didn't get cleaned entirely right, so she took it back, and she was saying, listen, can you fix this for us? And he actually... Probably not a safe thing to do with my wife anyway, but I think his comment was something like, well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't like, make a fuss about this, or you shouldn't be asking me to do this, or something to that effect. And I, I, I've been reminded that it's one thing for me, if I want to give someone a gift, I can do it, but for other people to come around and saying, this is what I should do for them if I'm a Christian, kind of begs the question. And yet we're becoming increasingly like that in terms of our culture and even Christian culture where, hey, if you're a Christian, you ought to give me a deal. If you're a Christian, you ought to give me a break. You ought to give this to me for free. Because even in Christian circles, we can be very narcissistic and selfish. But at the heart of this, Jesus was a person that everybody wanted something from him and he didn't whine and complain about it. You know, when people want a lot of stuff from us, it's easy to complain. We get tired of giving and giving and no one's paying attention to my needs and I'm not getting anything in return. And it'd be really nice if someone just stopped and cared for me for a while. And, and we have people that, in our culture, almost demand that they ought to do things for them, especially if they're Christians on Christians, that like, this is what you should do for me because you're a Christian, this is what I expect. But there takes a certain resilience and the power of his ministry was in his resolve that people here in this environment are asking him to heal this person and asking them to heal this person and asking them to heal this. And we don't know, I suspect that if he healed people, they were tremendously excited about it. And they would have shown their gratitude. And then maybe walked off and never paid attention to the, was the fact that it was the God of the universe who just healed them. I never assumed just because Jesus healed someone physically that they automatically became a believer. But he had a powerful ministry because he was intentional. He didn't wait around for someone to start the conversation. He learned, he's the one that had the conversations. He's the one that walked over and talked to the woman at the well. He's the one that welcomed the woman caught in adultery. He was the one that moved alongside his disciples before they were his disciples and impacted their life. He was the one that called Zacchaeus out of the tree and said, I'm having dinner at your place tonight. That's a hard one for me. It's like inviting myself over and you're going to cook a really good meal. But the point is, is that Jesus lived out his mission and ministry in the real world where people live, where they grapple with the circumstances of their relationship and their circumstances, the people around them, their businesses and everything else. And we have to carry our faith to school. We have to carry our faith to the workplace. We have to carry our faith into the environments we are if for no other reason is to be intentional about building relationships with people that may not know Christ. And you might say, well, I don't know who's a Christian and who's not. And my response would be like, who cares? 
what, why would that matter? Well, if they're Christian, I wouldn't probably talk to them. But, well, that makes no sense. And if they're an unbeliever, I'm too scared to talk to them, so it's like, okay, well, now what do you do? Learn to love people as Christ loved people. Remember, this is the God of the universe who is perfect and holy and righteous in every sense of the word, and he has to drop into this complete cesspool of sin and hang out with human beings that are broken and selfish and critical and condemning, and they whine and complain, and they're legalistic, and they're hypocritical and everything else, and he's got to put up with all that. Surely, for the sake of Christ, we can put up with some of this mess that other people dish out. One, because we've got our own stuff to deal with, and we ought to have a lot of flexibility in dealing with others, but for the sake of the gospel, be interested. It was one of the ways that I had to teach myself as a bona fide introvert how to care to interact with people. I mean, my thing is like, well, why should I care about them? They're just gonna drone on about their hobby that I don't care about anyway, and they're gonna go on for 20 minutes about it, and it's like, who cares? I'm not gonna do it. Until finally I changed the picture of my mind to say, well, listen, God says the reason I had to get to know this person is so that I might learn how to share the gospel to respond to the deepest need that they have. And it took some work because I'm kind of like, I'm still going like, who, like, who cares? They're not going to listen to me. You know, do the introvert thing. Well, nothing I'm going to say is going to make a difference. Why would they want to talk to me? And once I got out of that self-centered kind of immaturity and God finally broke some layers where I got at least enough maturity to go, oh, well, maybe following Jesus means that I've, he's given me something that other people in this world need. And so it was intentional in that Jesus went to people, but it was intentional in that he did miraculous good works. Now, in our day and age, crisis brings out the best in lots of people. But sometimes the greatest miracle is getting God's followers, those who claim to be disciples, some of the greatest miracles is getting them to just do something for other people that they're not best friends with. Why? To show the love of Christ, to show the power of Christ, to make sacrifices, to respond to their needs so it opens the door for other conversations about the ultimate reality of their soul. I mentioned the social gospel and it, there's always an element of truth to some things. It was geared about good works and that kind of stuff, but there was a whole segment of Christianity that said, we want nothing to do with that because that's not really the gospel. Well, there are some problems with it for sure. But then what happens is in order not to be like that, what other Christians do is we're not doing any good works at all because we don't want to get labeled with them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you'll notice in this statement that literally when Jesus showed up, there's all these people that went and they found other people and brought them to Jesus because they knew he wasn't going to judge them, he wasn't going to be critical of them. It's kind of like, you know, why are you crippled? What are you, dumb or something? Like, why, why, are you, why are you crippled? Why don't you just fix yourself and get up and... Of course Jesus didn't do that, but sometimes Christian community can do that. We love to criticize and complain about people in the world. We really do. 
But what they need to do is get a taste of the power of God and the love of God through us responding to needs. We were up at camp this week and Ross and Engine came up and they visited us for a day and a half and, and uh, one of the guys, one of our youth guys, Thor, we were down eating, getting, I don't know, lunch or something. I can't remember if it was breakfast or lunch. He says, guys, I've been chatting with Engine and I just put on my heart because her back's been bothering. He says, can we just go and pray for her? So we all gathered around Engine and prayed for her. And then when I got back here, Ross said, you know what, I want, you to, tell you, I want to tell you, since you guys prayed for Anshin, her back has been great, at least for those few days that we're there. I asked her this morning, I said, how's your back? Better. <laughs> and I don't want to get into a debate, as, did he heal or not heal her, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's the problem. We don't want to step out and meet needs because if we don't think God operates the way we think he should, then we look like stupid, right? I don't know, when I grow up, I may be able to convince myself that taking the risk for Jesus and caring for other people, what he does in their life is his business, not mine. But so often we don't do things because we're not worried about how God looks, we're worried about how we look. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look like we failed. We don't want to pray for people and then go, well, I guess God isn't interested. And so people with Jesus, they were imploring him. They were seeking earnestly with great reverence and pleading with Jesus to do something. Wouldn't it be amazing if Oak Grove Church, when we are living out in the world, were so generous to meet needs and care for people, that they were literally, we had unbelievers who aren't even, would be recruiting people to come and gather with us because they know they'll get loved and cared for. That they'd be begging us for help because they know that we'll love them and care for them and communicate the hope and the power and the love of Jesus Christ in whatever their situation is. But Jesus finally had a purposeful ministry. Francis McNutt makes this statement, in healing one can concentrate on either of two attributes, the power of God or the love of God. In every healing there is a manifestation of both. See, often we get snagged on how are they gonna interpret what I'm doing rather than I want them to see the power and the love of Jesus in their own circumstances. I won't deal with it a lot here, but Jesus did things because he was revealing himself and his identity to Israel. He was God's servant, feet on the ground, trying to communicate to them an opportunity to get right with God. But the gospel is the ultimate healing for any person. It guarantees not only a healing of our own spirit and our soul, but ultimately, through the resurrection, we're going to find ultimate healing where our bodies are going to be transformed absolutely fit for heaven for all of eternity. And the message of the gospel Jesus still brought to all those circumstances is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in the gospel. Faith without works cannot please, nor can good works without faith. James reminds us of this. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is basically useless? I want to remind you of what the video did before I finish. Our vision frame is this. As God continually impacts us, our spiritual health will be measured by our our intentional activity to reach beyond the walls of our building to actively fulfill the mission of the gospel in our community, country, and world. You feel like you're in rhythm with that? A couple months ago, I was going to say bribed you. Okay, I bribed you, whatever. With a $100 bill challenge that you would take this $100 and you'd find somebody in your neighborhood or your workplace or whatever that you would say, I want to do something good, whether it's a crisis need or just buying them lunch. To say, I want to step into your life and have a relationship and I want to care about you to have a conversation. I'm going to pester you for the rest of the year. Some of you have already got back to me, and granted, at times it's a struggle. We, we've kind of, some of you have got the $100 bill, but haven't figured out how God went. That's okay. I'm just, we're trying to not, we're just trying to encourage you to say, here's the opportunity that we felt God had created, and we want to empower you to do these things. Keep praying and looking. Now, if you get to December and you haven't found anything to do with that $100 bill, come and see us. We can help. I have people around here that would love to help you do that. But our vision is that every person can be a disciple maker as an outpouring of being a follower of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? Go make disciples. That's, that's our focal point. If he said to his disciples, go make disciples, that's what our commitment is here, is to help people become genuine, authentic, powerful followers of Jesus. And our vision is wrapped around being gospel-centered. No matter how you step into the community, we want to be gospel-centered and biblically focused and relationally engaged and empowered by the Spirit of God, not our own efforts. See, what Jesus demonstrates to us is that if the mission of the gospel and the ministry of his love is going to impact our world, it's not about, well, the doors are open if they want to come, the doors are open. I kind of wonder if we serve pizza every week whether we get more people. Well, I know most of you would show up. I had a discussion with the girls this morning. I said, hey, you guys like pizza? And one said, absolutely. The other one went, well, I don't like the green stuff. And sometimes when it gets down to making disciples, it doesn't matter what we like or dislike. It's the privilege that God has called us to be followers of Jesus and offer hope to lost people. It's okay if you have preferences for pizza. It doesn't because Jesus said, go make disciples of all ethnic groups. And the power of Christ has to get us beyond often our own myopic perspective that we care about everybody. Not just people who are Canadians. No, wait a minute. 
that's not right. American, well, I still fit into that category, whether you think so or not. You know, I'm going to pray the team's going to come up. I want to make one announcement before we, uh, I leave the stage, but let me pray with you, and I pray that you will think about how is God calling you to impact your community? Maybe your neighborhood, might be a friend at work, might be one person, might be six people. But I want to implore you, we have the greatest privilege in the world to walk with Jesus and offer hope to lost people. Don't miss it. Father, we ask you to continue to take our lives and mold them so that our beliefs and values match that of the beliefs and values of Jesus. We want us to be authentically committed to you. We stumble around and we're gonna spend our whole life learning how to do this, but Father, help us not to give up on doing that, but continue to keep reorganizing and reshaping our life so that it conforms to the proddings of the Spirit of God. We often confess that we're more worried about what people think about us than we do about Jesus, and so our fears have crippled us at times, and we ask that your Spirit will deal with those areas in our life where we have easily used those things as excuses not to be disciples. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for the intentionality of Jesus to leave the glory and the majesty of the Godhead and to take to himself flesh and blood and dwell among us so that we might see Christ face to face. Help us to be the face of Christ to those around us because Christ is in us and people are desperate to have hope. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.